0: Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing a territory of pop culture that only recently has enjoyed critical acceptance, even though it has long held popular acclaim. We're talking about newspaper comic strips. Now, to really appreciate the place that newspaper comics have in American culture, you need to go back a while, you need to go back to the early 1900s or so. Now, there have been newspaper cartoons of various sorts before then, But at that particular time and place, the U.S. newspaper industry was simply exploding. Most cities had several local newspapers, and they all competed fiercely against each other. Anything to gain and retain readership was fair game, which is why they all ran their own cartoon pages. Now, seen by many as drivel without any kind of serious artistic merit, the funny pages were hugely popular and often were the thing that could tip the scales in a newspaper's favor in the battle for readership. The first color newspapers weren't printed to run news. They are printed to run comic strips. Over the years, this tradition grew and grew. And now, more than a century later, newspaper strips have created a massive impact on American pop culture, both high and low. For every Calvin and Hobbes, there are 10 or 12 zombie strips that limp along in syndication for decades after they stop being even remotely funny or relevant. And yet, the diamonds among the dross are so good that they've done much to redeem the medium in the eyes of their harshest critics. And that's saying a lot, given the generally terrible state of a lot of newspaper comics today. There are a lot of bad strips, largely driven by an overly conservative corporate desire to create harmless entertainment that will somehow please everyone and offend no one. That leaves us with a lot of newspaper comics that we just kind of roll our eyes at and wonder who in the world actually likes them. But we're not here to talk about that kind of strip today. We're here to talk about the ones that really left an impression on us, either as a form of reliable hilarity, a source of welcome social commentary, A showcase of compelling artwork, a comforting reading ritual, or perhaps a little of all of them. Now, as I've mentioned in other episodes, this is a medium that has had a huge impact on me, so I'm very excited to talk about it. Let's get this underway. With me today is Midvale School for Gifted Students alumnus, Chris Crenshaw. Push! Death tongue, electric tongue player, Tom Hespos. Oop! (laughs) (laughs) ack! And a man with a funnel for a hat. Joe Pace, I'm sorry, Helga. Everyone, welcome. We're gonna get things started here. We're gonna roll at random, see who gets going. Excellent, Joe. You have come up, sir. So why don't you walk us through? When you talk about newspaper comics, is there a newspaper comic strip that really that it sort of stands out to you? Either you really liked it, or you have great memory attached to it, or it's just something that when you talk about this, this is the thing that kind of comes up as the strip that uh, that kind of made made an impact on you.
1: Yeah, I'd like to talk about Family Circus. <laughs>
0: You're a liar who lies. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about family circus. Why do you have to drag a mistruth in here, man? Stop it. I can't believe you did that, man. Oh my God. All right, Billy, get your act together. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Even Bill Keane doesn't talk about family circus, man. Come on.
1: I'm a big believer that the family circus is one of the circles that Dante left out of his first draft. <laughs> okay. All right. It's just
0: mean. Uh, it is mean. Okay. All right. Very good. I'm glad that's out of the way. I'm glad that, I to be, that I'm glad I'm glad we gotta
2: dress the in the room. <laughs> I, I do like the treasure church. Oh, that stuff.
3: won't be the last family circus reference. <laughs> All real.
1: right. Um No, actually, you know, in all honesty, I'm going to talk actually about Hagar the Horrible, which as much as people want to put it into a category of strips that are pedestrian or average, I I can't put it there for me. For background, Hagar the Horrible was first published in 1973. It continues to this day. It's still an active strip. Dick Brown was the creator. He retired in 1988. But since then, his son, Chris, has continued to publish uh, publish the strip which is in keeping with the uh, tradition of sons named Chris continuing to flog a property long after the, the father <laughs> has
2: passed away. Mean again. But by the way, <laughs> um,
1: Dick Brown also generated High and Lois and uh, along with Mort Walker, he created Beetle Bailey. So this is a guy who has some some chops behind him when it comes to the funnies page. F- for me, it got horrible. This is a, uh, it's a very much like a, a Flintstones or a, a Honeymooners kind of a, guy who is, is, is inhabiting a very modern environment, even though he's in, you know, 800 Scandinavia as a Viking, Hagar uh, the Horrible is a, a henpecked husband, right? I mean, right. He's, his he's wife guy is in charge and he embodies a very modern masculine frustration. His wife runs a rough shot over him. His children don't understand him. He's exhausted from work. His employees frequently disappoint him. His best friend is his inept, <laughs> inept Lieutenant Lucky Eddie. Um, it's and- great luck
2: with women, you have to admit.
1: Eddie, yes, Eddie, Eddie. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. he he attracts women largely because He's women like projects, and <laughs> Eddie is very much a project. One of my all-time favorites from from uh, Hagar is when Eddie is forced to disclose his real name, which is Fortuitous Eduardo,
2: <laughs> and it's one of those
1: things that just, it still makes me laugh. But. Um, we read a ton of Hagar when I was a kid. When I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, back in the in the '80s, and it's one of those strips like BC or or some of these others that that you know it takes a different time, it takes a different context to do satire about the modern world, and uh, and it does it does it pretty well actually. But the thing that matters most about Hagar to me is my brother loved it, I enjoyed it, and my father loved it, and I remember reading it and laughing alongside my father with it. And I think when it comes to the funny pages, it's like a lot of things, it's like the Three Stooges in a lot of ways. It matters to me because it's something that was a connection between me and members of my family that we enjoyed together. Um, and I, I've since shared some of the books, some of the collections with my kids and they enjoy it. And so there's something to be said about that generational transfer of, of, of humor from my, my father to my brother and me, to my kids. And um, we're laughing about the same things. And I, and I remember very vividly when I was, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years old, drawing the characters in pen and, and crayon on these little sheets, you know, Hagar and Helga and Eddie and, and you know, Honey and Hamlet and all the characters. And uh, my father pinned them up on his workbench. They're still there. It's 30 years later. And I, wow. I, I'll go over to my parents' house and my dad's shop is still there. And he goes in and he putters around and does his thing. And those those pages are still pinned to the wall. And I, I don't know what to make of that. Like I think it's because my father's just never taken him down, but to me, it's this totem and this this realization that he enjoyed that connection through yes. something as, you know, as as mediocre maybe as as uh you know average as as hagar the horrible but it's something that we enjoyed together and so for me it'll always be my favorite comic strip one because i i I think it's funny and two because it was a a means of connection amongst our family and if celluloid can do that god love it
0: no hagar is not the only by is actually it's not the only strip by far not the only strip where the original creator uh kind of ages out and then somebody else kind of picks up the reins, and keeps it going. In fact, a lot of syndicated strips, once they've been around for a long time, like the syndicate decides we're going to keep this going because it's just, it's just a reliable moneymaker, right? But I have to hand it to the Browns because I remember when Chris Brown took over, I think it was in 88 or 89. Yeah, 88. Right. Yeah. And I was amazed at how perfectly... yeah, Yeah, like, like Chris... Chris had mastered his father's drawing style, you could not tell the difference. I, I, well, I, it was, I mean, it was very
1: just, much, it was very clean lines. It's yeah. not a lot of background. Like it's very, I yeah, know it's easy. No. Quote unquote, like it's, yeah, it's but, very, um but he still nailed
0: Yeah. But he still nailed the exact style that his father had done. Like, like he if did. you, like if you had, put you know you know pictures you know side by side, you would not be able to tell mm-hmm. out, out of 10 which one is Dick Brown, which one is Chris Brown. Like it was that it was that seamless. And I was really impressed by that. And at that time I was doing a lot of art myself. I was actually really amazed at how consistent he'd figured that he'd figured that out. And I always wondered like, man, how long did it take Chris Brown to get to understand that style so, so seamlessly, right? And so, so perfectly. It's it's pretty amazing stuff. I love this story about how this was a, a bonding experience for you and you and your brother and your dad, because I had a similar experience with the funnies in general, not quite with my parents though. It was just when I was growing up, we had a couple local papers that the one from Allentown, Pennsylvania, the morning call had this, I mean, absolutely rocking Sunday comic section. It was like, she was just huge. I forgot how long it was, but I remember like it was the kind of thing where my parents would take it out, and I had two brothers, and they would just take sheets of it. They would just deconstruct it, right? And they would just hand out, like, the broadsheets to each of us. We each would just get one, and you know, we would just sort of pass them. We would kind of sit together and pass yeah. them around, the right? Sunday and, paper. Yeah, 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 Sunday, yeah, yeah like, like a big swap meet with the papers, you know? Yeah. And, and you're really like, oh, man, you guys, like, this one's really funny this time. We'd be like, kind of get ready. And it actually made it made the 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 solitary experience of reading a communal thing for that particular thing you know it was kind of fun cuz like at that point my youngest brother you know he was just young enough that he might not get some of the jokes we would like explain them to him that sort of thing and it was and it was and we would like we'd all get around we all like bust on the comics we didn't like and we all you know but it was like it was just kind of a cool thing cuz like it wasn't quite like watching a tv show together it was something that was a little bit more not exactly interactive it was just i don't know it was a thing that we bonded over that is something I kind of attach to the funnies, like it has that power to to make people kind of come together a little bit. Chris, Tom, I don't know if you guys have had any kind of similar experiences with the funnies in that in that way, but um, it certainly was that for me.
2: My dad read the Richmond Times Dispatch, you know, cover to cover. The funny pages were my way to share that with him. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. he would, uh, you know, give that page to me, and I'd fold it up and I'd read it, and I'd have to give it back at the end because he always did the crossword. Okay. Um, the scramble yeah, yeah. oh and, and especially the scramble he loved <laughs> the scramble he was uh, yeah, he, he did he did not even write he didn't write down the words in the scramble he wrote down the answer you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was it was it's probably my just it was a, you know, like my, printra, it, it was my yeah it's my it's, that's how cool my dad is memory that for yeah. sure and it, yeah. it is all bound up with this page of the comics at least during the weekdays
0: yeah Very cool. Tom, Tom, how about you?
3: My paper was uh, Newsday on Long Island, which is actually a pretty huge circulating newspaper back in the day. It was like the fourth or fifth most powerful paper. It was
0: it was a really big paper. Yeah.
3: My dad used to give me quarters when I was like four years old to walk (laughs) down the street to the deli and get him his paper. And I would uh, bring Newsday back. And you know the backup was the Daily News. He's, but if I brought him a copy of the you know the Daily News because they ran out of Newsdays,
0: he would be very upset with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, like, very disappointed. Like, like there, really,
0: there better be incredible story around the shortage of, of the Newsday. <laughs> well, man like, landed just, on the moon. Explained. They're all gone. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's I love to tell you, Dad.
2: Your fault, son. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so disappointed.
0: Yeah. And you know, <laughs> Tom. I, now that you now I, that you ruined Sunday, give us the story as to how it happened. <laughs>
3: i mean i would take the paper home and like my my parents would you know fight over the news or like Newsday had this wonderful bit called part two which was like a pull out section of the paper and that had all the culture stuff in it so like you know there's all your like movie reviews and the you know stuff going on in new york city and blah 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 and then that led into ann landers dear abby and then the funny pages right after that so you know i got my um know. my, my advice from uh, both the Van Buren sisters born on the 4th of July <laughs> and then right into the funny pages, which was, which was terrific. And, and, and they ran all the good ones. I I, I, oh I love their funny pages. And like, they never suffered from that whole, like, you know, trying to reduce the size of them that uh, yeah. Uh, guys, yeah. Uh, comic strip guys used to make fun of like they ran those funnies like boldly and beautifully and i I Mm -hmm. loved every second of it
1: (laughs) my exposure to a lot of these comics was either uh weekends or through the books like my brother collected the hagar books the collections Mm -hmm. and we didn't get a daily paper i mean where we were we're out in the gebu you know i mean like we weren't on long island we weren't in richmond we weren't anywhere near a center of culture or learning. We were, we're an hour north of Boston and we are, this is where the sidewalk ends (laughs) and um, there's no newspaper. So I never read like the Sunday, I read the Sunday funnies. yeah, Cause the Boston globe, like my parents might go get a globe for Sunday, but like we didn't get a daily paper. yeah. And so for me, it was very much collecting like, you know, the books or, or something along those lines there was nowhere that I could walk to for me to walk to get a paper would have been a five mile walk uh, along some, you know, some pretty busy roads. And so that, which wasn't part of my, part of my childhood geography will inform our relationship with newspapers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Right, let me, for those of yeah. you in the tri-state area, you had a very different or, or down in, in the you know, Virginia, DC area, you had very different relationships yeah. with newspapers. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I get to college, I got the Boston Globe on a daily basis and the New York Times I read, mm-hmm. but like, you know, by then you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, and it's in a whole different experience. Yeah. You can do um, your own
3: thing by that age. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, we, we were out in the boonies and we still were a daily subscriber to Newsday. I mean, they would deliver yeah. far out. Like, we, I didn't have house numbers until I went to college. I was on a rural route. Like, and my address was RR yeah. number one, farm. But you could still
1: class. walk to a place that had papers. Apparently,
3: well, no, this was I moved when I was a little kid, but then after <laughs> I moved when I was five, so like <laughs> my dad was sending me out to get the yeah. paper probably when I was four, and like he sent me near roads.
0: Like, I would not let a four, no business being anywhere guy. near, yeah, right. I've got these images of no. like Tom and his rural route days. His dad's like, okay, uh, son, go down to the trading post and <laughs> <laughs> trade these two raccoon pelts for a New York Times and a Newsday, I, I, okay?
2: I couldn't have walked for a paper,
0: but you know, we did have paper boys. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So my folks were big newspaper people. We used to get the two local papers, the Eastern Express and the Morning Call from Allentown. But also where I grew up was almost equidistant between New York City and Philadelphia. So like on Sundays, we would get the New York Times and we would get the Philadelphia Inquirer to talk to him casually you wouldn't think he read a lot of news right but he did and then the weekend papers were such a they're so crazy with the with the comics and all that and i always remember thinking it was so interesting and kind of cool that i just thought that the morning call had a better sunday comic section than the philadelphia inquirer the mighty philadelphia inquirer like i thought we actually beat it out it was like two pages longer or something i was like holy crap and you know doing the research for this episode i was sort of looking through like lists of like you no know, what are kind of broadly considered to be some of the greatest, you know, co- you know, newspaper comic strips of all time and all that. Just they kind of jog my memory to, to see the names of ones I may have read and forgot about. And I was looking through, I'm like, man, like I just kept acro- coming across all these comics that I remember reading in the, the, the morning call, the local paper going, God, man, like how big was their comic section? I mean, it must've gone, Like it was really like, I, I can, I'm trying to like adjust for like, you know, you know, memory, right? You think, oh, my comic section was 48 pages long. No, it wasn't. All right. It just felt that way because you were little. But looking at all these strips, I'm like, man, it was at least 20 because honestly, this, they, they packed in a lot of comics here. So let's roll the die, see who goes next. Chris, you're up. And for Kathy,
2: you know, bring us that high and Kathy. lowest
0: man. Come on. You know, you got it. <laughs>
1: I thought about (laughs) Uh, the black horns. I (laughs) thought about (laughs) the
2: black
1: (laughs) horns
0: put Coming my comic. i thought the Lockhorns. horns was like, <laughs> this like existential thing about suffering i was like these people hate each other why can't they leave the house like why are they so connected? i didn't understand the 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 deep animus between these two people like how can you be married and hate each other like as a little kid i didn't know though so,
1: well you anyway. should have been in my first marriage
0: yeah <laughs> so anyway chris i,
1: I want to talk a- about a comic
2: that It is uh, as much a social phenomenon as a comic strip. I feel like it redefined what comics were after it appeared in 1979. It slowly worked its way into widespread publication. And by 1985, uh, it was appearing in 200 newspapers. The far side good
0: right. it, oh good <laughs> the, the yes. far side was
2: uh it, it, well i i suspect that part of the reason it went uh so widely syndicated is that it was no a, size a restrictions panic. and screw the limit right well, it was a single panel comic you know yeah. it was little you could put it in there above a uh, family circle and and it was quite compact next to the crossword puzzle yeah but i can't think of a, a comic that has a stronger social impact other than maybe peanuts and peanuts is the worst I, i'm oh, sorry i'm sorry come on, come on peanuts is the worst, okay.
0: but, it's, not the worst. Yeah, on, it's not the worst come on the worst. there there's I, I just i don't have a lot good to say about peanuts i, I don't I mean, we'll get to that I, later if, if i'm willing peanuts. i'm willing to bet I'm willing to bet a large sum of money that Wizard of Id is somehow worse than Peanuts. I, I, I can't say Peanuts are the worst. Come on, you're
1: talking about BC. That's not Wizard of Id. That's, that's BC.
2: <laughs> no man, Andy Cap was a comic strip about. Domestic I mean, violence. About
0: domestic 200 violence. 200 200. violence. <laughs> yeah, right. Seriously, cat like at uh, any pub, his wife doesn't want him to go to the pub. Like that's the well, here she is with her frying pan.
1: <laughs> She's gonna slap him with it. Isn't that funny? A-
0: exactly. As a kid, I couldn't understand when Andy Cat came home and there their little circles over him. I didn't understand what that meant. I'm like I, what is he thinking? <laughs> what what he didn't understand <laughs>
1: is why does he go home at all? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I just don't get it at all. You know. <laughs> or what is why does she let him just go back to the in? Family circus yeah, house. Yeah, it's like it just, it just answered just all kinds of questions. Just go my do the footprints to. at the family circus house. They'll never catch him. <laughs> well, I you know we. might yeah, my I head,
0: just... hang on. In my head, canon, Andy Cap squatting in the family circus garage for months on end is a comic. I'm here to I'm here to read. Okay.
2: <laughs> he, he craps. He craps in a like an oil canister in the corner. <laughs>
0: Exactly. <laughs> the <It's laughs> kids keep asking these really like awkward questions at the weird, and he goes the weird and English man Kathy in the, and in the garage.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so happened.
1: when
2: when the far side has you know starts to appear widely, you know, I've grown up on you know effing garfield and yeah, kathy yeah. and yeah. high and lois and i guess maybe for, for better or for worse it started by then and these are all like super vanilla comic strips you know your bc yeah. you know yeah sorry joe your hagar's it is vanilla it's it's, yeah, no, it's, it's really sort of old-fashioned and yeah. Yeah. yeah well the far side comes along and it's just this single panel almost always single panel Surreal, just snapshot, yeah. That 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 points a camera at something, huh? A little weird, as far as I'm concerned. It invented the tear off desktop calendar,
1: probably. Really, did <laughs> you? Were really, you're right, I think you're right. It's the Twilight Zone, like on dope, right? right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. mean like just, it, it comes out of left field, and you're, and like, it, yeah, it's it, talking it, cows. It, it, yeah the
2: the joke is always the kind of joke a high guy might have made and yeah
0: so so chris i mean you know most most listeners of the show are roughly our age so they're intimately familiar with what we're talking about but just you know the the far side ended in 95 so for those who haven't actually seen it can you talk about one or two of your favorite far side strips to kind of set up the kind of humor Uh you could expect from this from this thing
2: i I think we all should um but we were also talking bill earlier about the the standards that comic strips had to live up to oh yeah and and larson was uh, he frequently ran into issues with publishers saying we're not going to publish this anything scatological anything Mm -hmm. that you know acknowledged divorce or whatever and uh like he he wasn't allowed to draw an outhouse in his strip for years one of my favorite uh far side strips is uh it it's you know how he drew his characters all all his men all his boys were fat yeah and most of his were <laughs> more too yeah so it's this fat boy with a sousaphone sitting behind a public bathroom like in a park he's apparently practicing and in the background of the strip is, is just a, a bunch of people staring at the bathroom <laughs> He's drawn a crowd. <laughs> another, another of my favorites is uh, it's just like um, the, these two pilots uh, you know, in an airplane, you, you, the the strip is shown from over their shoulders through the window of, of the the jetliner, and it's all like white clouds, but you know, right there in the middle, there there's a there's a mountain goat, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and you know, it's it, these the strips always are just like they. They've got like they, a three-second fuse on them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah they they yeah. they make you think for a second and then be like, bah! <laughs> <laughs> one of my one of my absolute favorite far sides, and, and by the way, no strip has ever made me laugh harder or more reliably than the far side. Like the far side would routinely break me up. Even oh, going back, even going back looking at him. I see a strip I haven't seen in a while, it just cracks me up. It just really like I laughed hard at this strip. He had these like themes he'd kind of come back to, like, you know, and one of them was like <laughs> Was like dogs against mailmen and there's this one where it's just there's this, this this mailman coming down the walk and there's this dog hiding behind the tree but he's dressed as a samurai with a katana drawn like he's ready to jump out and like it's like why it's like it's like the dog is gonna maul again why is that to be a samurai like this guy's not just gonna get bitten, he's gonna get cut in half, you know. It's like that kind of absurdity just, just came out of nowhere. And I That's a I pretty elaborate art for Larson. Yeah, I still know <laughs> the, the other one I also like is um he often would talk about slugs, you know. Uh and there's a great one where there's this mother, this mother yelling at her baby or her young her young child slug who's running in the house with the salt shaker.
3: <laughs> it's like, what have I told you to do? <laughs> it's like, that's like the run with scissors of the sl- yeah, right.
2: scissors, but for slugs. It's like ew. <laughs> why, why would you? I, I look. I I I travel for a living for my work, and and I have for twenty years, and even before this, like everywhere I have gone in my life, on somebody's bulletin board, there's gonna be a Far Side. You pushed on on, every on a professor's door? office door. There's gonna be a Far Side. And, and and it's just like the most ubiquitous thing ever. Uh, and and the one strip that I think I've seen the most, like around the country, like in all of these settings, is the Midvale School for the Gifted, where it the
1: perfect the, irony the, with no the, dialogue. It's right, perfect <laughs> irony with no
2: dialogue. All you need is the sign <laughs> for the school, and that's that. And, and it's just this little boy pushing on a pull door.
0: He's not even pushing. He's got, like, his whole body weight. Yeah, yeah. he's, yeah, like, you know, he's going, going after it. Like, he's, like, he's expecting yeah. it to start pushing at any moment. <laughs> That's on
3: T-shirts. It's on coffee mugs in every airport in the United States. Yeah. Love but it. That,
1: that one panel is probably, if, like, this is one of those things where, like, you know, when volcanoes or nuclear war destroys our civilization, that is the one panel that will represent us a thousand years from now of yes. who quite we Yes, quite possibly. Yes, it it, it it completely encapsulates modern childhood parenting, like everything. Like there's so much of it that's perfect. Yeah. And yeah.
3: Put that on that satellite that's going out there to you know. Make, yes. You know, yeah, you like you know like with the all morning. the you know Chuck Berry <laughs> and whatever else is on there, it going should out.
2: be on the Voyager record. Yeah,
1: <laughs> the like, Voyager record. Exactly. The it's a shame that went is, out too early. <laughs> it is so. It is like, and you're talking about something that's probably 35 years old now. That yeah. that panel and it's well, as funny now as it was in Yeah, it, it, it it is and is will be ageless. ageless.
0: And w- yeah, completely ageless. It'll still be funny many many that's, years.
1: From that's that's Gary Larson pitching a perfect game because his stuff is funny. His stuff is really 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 funny. But that panel is him, just yeah. <laughs> and and, 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 he
2: is, and he is absolutely one of those cartoonists who cut out like like Watterson did when he realized that yeah, yeah I could I do this done. forever. But it may not be funny yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, I, that I'm, said again, he comes back in 2019, he, he revamped the Farside website. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pleased that he's, you know, profiting on it again. Yeah. but it's a shame that something that was once so ubiquitous is now a little bit harder to get.
1: Hey, buy the calendar, man. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> one of the things I love one of the things I love about Farside is on my father's workshop wall. Next to the Hagar drawings I did is uh, a far side panel and it's the, the fishermen in their boat with the mushroom clouds around them. And one of them says to the other, I'll tell you what this means. No size restrictions and screw the limit. (laughs) It's just like, like and it's like that, that (laughs) perfectly encapsulates like my father's attitude toward the apocalypse. But also is just like it's just yeah. one of those like we, we say that to each other all the time whenever we like we get bad news coming out, you know what that yes. means you know just, my
3: favorite kind of was a guy whose um his his apartment randomly becomes like the center of a new black hole and you see like the couch stuck to the dog stuck to feet you know like in the middle of his apartment I thought that was hysterical it stuck <laughs>
1: forever I love the byplay between animals and humans oh yeah right used it was there was a fluidity to that, right? Like a yeah. cockroaches could talk. Anybody, <laughs> any animal, possibly like sheep, yeah, cows, bears, deer, anybody might have something to say.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're right, and a, and a human identity.
1: Yeah, yeah. and and it, and it completely like it flipped the, the script on on any interaction yeah. you might have. One, there's there's one where there's these two bears in a in a site in a gun sight, and one is pointing at oh, the yeah. other. Like, hey, hey, get it. <laughs> Right? right? <You> exactly. <laughs> or, 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 like or the two deer. Cow,
3: you remember that one? Right. Yeah. yeah. How did how it, how the one I was, doing doing was all coming cowl up cowl with, Tom. Yeah. Exactly. The deer's got <laughs> like Anybody a have any in their collections?
0: I've got, oh, the first, of I've got the first Farside yeah. Gallery, which is a book I bought in an airport right when it came out and laughed so hard. My mom made me stop reading because she thought I was going to cause like a to-do with security. Like, why are you laughing so hard? Like, my mom was one of those kinds of people. My parents were kind of people like, if you're entertaining yourself too much, they were like, "Okay, that's suspicious. Stop it, right?" <laughs>
1: and your mom <laughs> and, in that memory is the mom with like the horn rim glasses with the yeah, beehive, right? With the yeah, beehive yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Print dress, it,
0: yeah. No, I, no, but I, and I, I've got the first Far Side gallery. It's a, God, it's such a funny book, it's so funny.
3: You know, if you're gonna get one, I would get that the prehistory of the the Far Side,
0: which that's a, has yeah, some great that's
3: material one. in it, uh, especially with respect to. You know the, the 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 ones that like the jokes that people didn't get or like the con- oh, like <laughs> strips that cow like, how cow
0: tools uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> like
3: it tells the whole story about yeah. all those and like where yeah. they came from and sets the record straight and it's a great yeah. read I love yeah, it yeah,
2: yeah there are two far side stories that really have to be told while we're talking about it. and and i I want time to get to him first of all was uh the famous one that shows two chimpanzees grooming each other and one finds a blonde hair on the other and says conducting more research with that jane goodall tramp
0: (laughs) yeah well
2: the jane goodall institute like writes like a furious letter oh this is inappropriate and and like like in the news media this is like oh it's an atrocity (laughs) Yeah, right. It's a comic about an atrocity. Yeah. <laughs> it was a simpler age. <laughs> Jane Goodall comes back and she sees it and she's like, Well, that's funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> it helps put us, us humans in our place. And, you know, we desperately need that. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, I love like, that story. like, that is a great story. Like, the, yeah. the relevance of a comic strip to yeah. science and issues of humanity, that's just awesome. Yeah. And then uh, possibly even better this prehistoric like tarzan costumed uh fat prehistoric man giving a paleontological presentation and, and he references the tail spikes of the stegosaurus as the thagomizer after the late thag simmons eventually uh thagomizer is what like actual paleontologists started calling the tail spikes.
3: No
1: way! Did they really one
2: <laughs> a pegasus? Like for real?
0: <laughs> I didn't
1: and, know that, and that's just
0: that's just awesome. Yeah, but see, it, it is awesome. But you know, when you when you read about like the history of newspaper comics, that is a thing where like the ubiquity of newspaper comics, and because they're there yeah. every day, because they're always there, they're always part of your thought process whether you've seen the latest one or not they occupy a unique place in our thought process and it's weird how it's like that that art imitates life imitates art kind of cycle really can happen with newspaper comics like newspaper comics can inform the way we think about the world which informs the comics, which informs the world and you see it in certain places like like that and so often this is limited to commentary but yeah with the far side that would actually create things like like there's like a there's some sort of louse named like like named after gary larson you know or
3: after him yeah it's in the prehistory of the far yeah side.
0: It, yeah like it's, it's like it's something something a larsoony like, yeah right yeah it's yeah so you know it's just Can
1: but like that's to that audience yeah absolutely to me the far side is the comic book or the comic strip equivalent to Monty Python, Saturday Night Live, like yeah. that kind of like it, it, it's the, like, you know, the sharp stick in the eye of the intelligentsia, like, and it had that kind of irreverence and yeah. anything can happen, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. And you never knew you opened it and it could be cockroaches laughing about the couch they live in or it, it could be anything, You know, yeah. it's no concept. Yeah. and it's And it's so like out of left field, a lot of it yeah it, 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 it you, kind of like you an,
2: can't see the jokes coming i mean
1: no yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They, they come at you and you're like what, yeah. what? oh okay yeah. i get it that's funny it, it was so yeah.
0: it was so beholden to non-tradition like like so many like, like like hagar for example is like very very set set of characters it happens
1: inside the white lines right
0: yeah, yeah it says these very a lot of these strips set very hard parameters because it's easy to fill that because being a seven day a week cartoonist is a really tough gig, right? Like it's just really, it's just hard to grind out that content. All it's the a time. lot of the same joke. Yeah. It's like the syndicate <laughs> doesn't care. They just want their content. You just got to run it out. Right. And so, but like the fact that Larson refused to do that, like to your point, Chris, like it could be anything, anywhere, anytime. Like it just came from everyone. It's like, it, it gave the sense of like an infinite left field. That's where it all came from. Right. And it's, it's amazing. He
1: did that. He either did a metric ton of dope, or he was just a, a, like a super out of the box thinker. Like one, yeah. one yeah. of those two things is true.
0: I'm gonna think he was a super out of the box thinker because I don't think anybody who, who did a huge amount of dope could have made it as a regular working cartoonist. Well, let's, let's just say, Bill, Bill too, like the, too the, merciless.
1: the 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 art the art is not. You know, we're not talking. you know, <laughs> There's no there of taking there. No, 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 no.
0: Alex Raymond, it's not. No, <laughs> no, for sure. One of the comics that has always always slaughtered me to this day was this guy it's, it's wordless but this guy's looking at like somebody threw a brick through this dude's living room window and looks at it and tied to the brick is this note going broken glass call al's window
1: <laughs> and the guy who's reading it is probably drawn like something you're He's you know, like, like a six a five five-year-old draw, right? yeah, yeah like, exactly I mean, like, yeah yeah
0: so 1995 three things happened to me okay one i had i i got divorced Two, Calvin and Hobbes ended. Three, The Far Side ended. And I can tell you, of those three, like my divorce was easily the third most tragic thing <laughs> that, happened, that, happened, <laughs> that happened that year. At <laughs> least Kathy was there for you. And, you know what? Yeah, and always will be. And always will be. All right, going next. Let's see who we got here. All right, so it's my turn. As as I want to do, I'm gonna I'm gonna go really kind of weird and obscure here, and I'm gonna talk about a, a comic that. I haven't read a huge amount of it because it's actually hard to find. But it's a comic. It's one of the first kind of major newspaper strips. It's called Crazy Cat, spelled with two Ks. So K for crazy, K for cat. And it was done by this guy named George Harriman. It started from like you know, like 1918 to 1944. It kind of got going during that early heyday of like newspapers or just like they they all wanted their own strip. They wanted exclusivity to your, to your paper. Crazy Cat was just one of these things where it was a, such an unusual book, but Randolph Hearst personally loved it, so he gave George Harriman a lifetime contract to do the book however he wanted, free of any editorial interference. And Hearst would personally like call up his editors, who were like, "Yeah, we're not going to run Crazy Cat." He's like, "Yeah, you are. You're running Crazy Cat." Like, like he had that level of like top, top cover. You know that he could just do whatever he wanted, and and he did. The strip is this weird. It's weird. It's definitely weird. The gag is um. Basically, it's like a it's like a talking animal's funny, right? So Harriman lived in LA, but he often um vacationed in 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 like northern Arizona. So the book is the the, the comic is set in that kind of in a phantasmagorical version of like the painted desert, right? It's just a real simple setup. You got this cat named Crazy Cat, who's just this complete idiot, doofus walking around just oblivious and merrily skips through life. You've got this real bastard of a mouse named Ignatz, who just like Crazy Cat's merry disposition just extensionally bothers him so he always just wants to take a brick and throw it at crazy cat's head right just beat him with the brick and that's all he wants to do because crazy cat bugs the crap out of him and you've got this dog officer bull pup he's just like trying to stop ignats the mouse that's kind of the triangle of it and then there's these other animals that kind of you know they kind of surround them as like minor characters who are just kind of you know the bit players that come in it's, it's just a gag a day kind of thing it's either a joke about the ingenious lengths to which ignats will go to brain this hapless cat with a brick to the head <laughs> or it's the humorous serendipity of how crazy cat is sometimes protected from Ignatz by outrageous circumstance that just happens to go in his favor you know or it just goes in like a totally philosophical bent like and just goes completely off the off the grid it was just a really odd book that wasn't it actually in its day was not a huge popular success it's kind of modestly successful but if not for hearst's personal endorsement it probably would have died in the vine for sure it was a critical darling like people just absolutely like the critics of the day who lined up to beat the hell out of newspaper comics is like this low browing of america back in like the 20s and you know that sort of thing but they all made a grand exception for crazy cat ee cummings is a big fan of it you know um (laughs) right like i I mean just all these these all these like critics of the day were just like no you know they're like newspaper comics are trash except for crazy cat here's the reason why They just kind of go off on it it was just, just a delightful thing in the 1930s it started running full in full page color and that's when it really kind of gets super phantasmagorical and kind of weird and all that i came across this comic because i had this book and i mentioned this in a couple other episodes of this podcast the Smithsonian collection of newspaper comics right which is this massive book came out in i think 77 or so my grandparents gave it to me. They knew I had a thing for comics. They're like, all right, well, this came from a museum. It can't be that that bad. And this book is a sort of like a massive kind of history of newspaper comics to that point. But it had large sections that kind of showcase the comics you're talking about, like the best comics from the best comics, you know. And it had a, a bunch of crazy cat in it. And I remember just reading it again and again. And I just I just laughed at it. It was so funny. And it, we kind of talk about how like how the far side is still funny today, like 35 years later. As a kid, in like the late '70s, early '80s, I was kind of mesmerized by the fact that I was being entertained by something from like 1923. How's this possible? How is this thing that's so old? How can it still be relevant to me and make me laugh? But it, but it did. It's a book that has really influenced a ton of other creators. Bill Watterson is he he will tell you he's a huge Crazy Cat fan and like. All those Southwestern painting kind of Sunday strips that you see in the later day Calvin and Hobbes, that's a straight up reference to George Harriman and to his stuff he did for Crazy Cat. A bunch of other people cited him as a major influence. R. Crumb, Charles Schultz, you'll never hear me say those two names in the same sentence again. Will Eisner, right? Just just a who's who of comic talent from like the 50s and 60s, all pointed back to Crazy Cat. It's like, yeah, you know what? It even would break the fourth wall. Like one time, like Office of Pup, Uh, busts Ignatz and gets ready to throw him to jail and gets her in and starts yelling at George Harriman because Harriman actually hasn't finished drawing the jail yet so Ignatz gets away you know it's like like that kind that kind of thing would happen a lot or like there'd be like commentary where like they're doing something and crazy cats reading a newspaper and he's like narrating like what he's reading and he's narrating the strip as it's actually happening like he would do a lot of that sort of like fourth wall stuff and at that time nobody did that. It was before comic strips got corporatized and kind of really developed templates to follow, you know, they set in their own routines, but they didn't look a lot like each other necessarily.
2: Oh, I, I just wanted to say that's the, also the birth of postmodernism and deconstruction,
0: right? It was a very postmodern comic. Yeah, absolutely. It was a very postmodern comic.
1: All too often, innovators are forgotten. Yeah. And the, the, the people who draw from the innovators are the ones we remember.
0: Well, that certainly would have happened to Harriman if it weren't for the fact that Hearst backed them and that's what kept the story going until the 40s until the mid 40s but you know what's funny is that because of that a lot of editors really hated the strip because it was something that they did a lot of the editors at the time they were they're like i run my paper the way i run my paper but they got hearst calling them up going well you're going to run this big massive strip you know find a place for it and they or just hate or else right <laughs> and so a lot of editors hated the strip because of that and a lot of the bean counters at the syndicate like, oh this paper, this comic doesn't actually make any money. It's just Hearst' plaything. So when Harriman um, died in '44, and the comic just abruptly ended. That was it. They canceled it. So Hearst immediately canceled the thing. He canceled it so that nobody could continue it, because he felt that if somebody else were to pick it up, they would be it would be a disservice to the to the earlier comics. But at the same time, the editors were so, and the bean counters at at the syndicate were so resentful of this thing. That there was no effort to try to collect it in books or try to give it a revival or anything. So like even to this day, like there have been piecemeal efforts to try to recapture and recollect Crazy Cat Comics, right? Like Fantagraphics books right now and Taschen Press in Germany. They're trying to they're doing their own multi-volume. Like let's go through the entire thing, but. It's like we're talking more than twenty years of comics, and there ex- there exists no single authoritative collection of Crazy Cat anywhere in the world. It just hasn't wow. just hasn't been collected. It is as as monumentally influential as the strip has been, it is still in part lost to time because it just hasn't been hasn't been collected yet. Nobody's actually let's, gone ahead and done it.
1: <laughs> part them. of that is, I mean, um, let's remember that Hearst, if you know, if he had a conscience, he'd be Disney. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they were, they we're not talking about a pro social creature. But no, yeah. no, 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 no. He, he he just happened
0: to like crazy cats. So, therefore, like, <laughs> like Harriman caught a lucky bounce, right? Like, the guy with the money liked it. He ran his company like a dictator. And so, therefore, you get to live comfortably. Okay, fine. <laughs> it was like, it's all good.
1: Oh, yes, it's, it's all good. good.
0: Yeah, he really wanted to
2: strip out the uh, Spanish American War. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> go you
3: know, ahead, Tom. Um, you just piqued my curiosity. So like, I put aside like, you know, the other authors that, you know, he may have influenced and put aside like the Hearst thing for a second. Sure. When, you know, Harriman was under assault for, you know, whatever, whatever it was pushing the envelope or what, like, and people defended it because they didn't see it part of that, you know, sort of lowbrow, uh, you know, um, newspaper comics thing. Mm-hmm. Like, how did they defend it? Like, what was what did they say about it or what did they love about it that set it apart
0: the defense of crazy cat in the day was kind of weird because hearst himself aimed he he aimed for a much more of a lowbrow kind of journalism it's almost like expecting the highest most philosophical aspects of say calvin and Hobbes, truly reaching a new york post readership like it's not going to happen right these things are far apart so you had that kind of thing going on so the people defending it were speaking to people who probably weren't reading the paper necessarily you know that kind of thing but i will say i have a great block quote for you from a guy named George Seldes who wrote a book called The Seven Lively Arts in 1924. Gilbert Seldes was a notoriously cranky social critic. He had this to say about Crazy Cat. You ready? Crazy Cat, the daily comic strip of George Harriman, is to me the most amusing and fantastic and satisfactory work of art produced in America today. With those who hold that a comic strip cannot be a work of art, I shall not traffic. Such is the work which America can pride itself on having produced and can hastily set about to appreciate. It is wise with pitying irony. It has delicacy, sensitiveness, and an unearthly beauty. The strange, unnerving, distorted trees, the language inhuman, unanimal, the events so logical, so wild, are all magic carpets and fairy foam, all charged with unreality. Through them meanders crazy, the most tender and the most foolish of creatures, a gentle monster of our new mythology. That's what Crazy Cat pulled out of critics, right? That kind of yeah. that kind of that kind of prose, right? Everything thing is that but to read it, you got where they're coming from. At the end of the day, it's about it's about a mouse throwing a brick at a cat again and again and again and again. <laughs> and the cat loves the mouse. He thinks the mouse is showing him a tender affection by throwing bricks at his head. That's how blockheaded crazy is. It's just it, there's this it's just so stupid and lowbrow and funny. And yet they get in these like crazy metaphysical things, and the author is clearly thinking on a whole nother level. It's just one of these. I've never seen a strip quite like, it, with the exception of, say, Calvin and Hobbes, where, like, Calvin Hobbes would just have these really fantastic gags and then sometimes, but they would make a, a turn and get really philosophical all of a sudden, you know. But not always in the same strip. Crazy Cat could do both in the same. And part of it was he had this format, these massive Sunday sheets, where he could have, like, mm. the equivalent of, like, a 24-page or 24-panel story, right? It just It looked, read, and felt like nothing else of the day, either before or since. All the dialogue is done in this weird, like, argot. Like, Harriman was from New Orleans. So everything is written out, like, very phonetically. And, and and so you almost have to, like, you almost have to read the dialogue aloud to understand it because it's so, it's spelled so weird. It's like, this is one of the strips that actually pays off to read it aloud because the argot is so thick. And it just gets funnier. Like, oh, man, now I understand what they're saying and and how they're, you know, how they're saying. It's just, it's just, it's just a unique experience. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of it, so. Thank you for putting up with my uh, one-man soliloquy on Crazy Cat. I had to get off my chest. I appreciate that very much. You're a very kind audience. Thank you. So, Um, all right, we're going to roll again for the sake of uh, ritual.
1: Hey, look One of the things I love most about this podcast is when Bill comes from some place that is in the attic or in like a closet in the attic or in the the crawl space above the closet in the attic
0: now we're getting creepy <laughs> <laughs> tom over to you man so so what, what what comic do you have for us uh walk us through
3: uh, my 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 strip was always bloom county my god uh same thing just it personified the 80s i mean it, it ran from 1980 ended on my dad's birthday august 6, 1989 and it just encapsulated the 80s perfectly. So like it was such a great strip. I mean, you're talking about something that ran from like the time I was eight until I was about 17. And that, that was like my prime newspaper years. My God, when this thing came out, it hit like just like a like a ton of bricks. I, I, I loved it. I started buying up the different collections of it Uh, because it was it was the first strip like I remember you know I did it too with The Far Side and with Calvin and Hobbes eventually but um, it was like the first strip I can remember really wanting to get the compilations of it because I wanted to see how far back it went it really was just about the 80s it's a great strip that you know has a cast of regular characters but new characters move in and out all the time Uh, It was a strip that could just throw you for a loop because you really had no idea whether the story that was going to come to you that day was part of like a storyline that could run for, you know, a couple of weeks or it was just this crazy one-off that came out of Burke Breathed's head, and and just nobody, <laughs> you know, they were like, what? Yeah. Where the hell did this can't come from? You know, or it could be, you know, a well-worn gag that uh, that he became known for. You know, some of my personal favorites were revisiting Star Trek. You know, there's a character Cutter John who, uh, you know, is in a wheelchair. And he's out there with, you know, the meadow animals, Opus the Penguin and Hodgepodge and Portnoy. And they play out like little episodes of Star Trek sitting on his lap in the wheelchair. And like every time yeah. I saw that, it was just it was it was heartwarming and it was hysterical you know both at the same time there there's one great stuff where like they're arguing over who they're gonna go after that particular mission of the starship enterpoop and uh you know hodgepodge wants to go after the uh the Romulans, and portnoy wants to go after you know uh whoever you know and opus wants to go after the hottentots and, and cutter john the captain just decides hey we're n- you know we're not going anywhere until we decide who we're going after so one of them raises their hands says the uh wild sorority girls of planet playtex <laughs> 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 bodge <Bodgepodge> is <laughs> like seconded and classic well, warp speed mr sulu but like <laughs> there was go. Some, uh, running star trek gags that i yeah. love there were great storylines. Bill the Cat, who was, you know, a character created by Breathed to see whether he could develop something that was so disgusting that nobody wanted to merchandise it, <laughs> failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> failed somehow. Like, yeah, he does this blatant like ripoff yeah. of Garfield, but the cat's on drugs all the time and it's morphing <laughs> up hairballs all the time. It's all. I was bad.
0: explaining. I was explaining Bloom <laughs> County to my son. My 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 eighteen year old son and I was playing Billy Cat and he goes, Oh, is that like he goes, right, that one was Ketamine Garfield, right? Ketamine Garfield.
3: <laughs> That's a perfect description. My right?
1: Right. Garfield without the lasagna. Just killing me. So but, yeah, no.
3: you, you know, such, such a great, you know, cast of characters. And, you know, again, they were moving in and out of the strip all the time. Yeah. You try stuff out and like, yeah, nobody likes that one. They just disappear and you'd never hear from them again.
0: Yeah, right. Well, well, <laughs> um, well, well, like Cutter John just vanishes like, 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 like yeah. about three years in. Yeah. He just no explanation. They just he just stops writing them. There's yeah. no like exit for the character.
3: There was one strip he did too, where he was like, you know, the forgotten women of Bloom County, and it was all like these women characters yeah. they tried to bring in that, like,
0: yeah, it's didn't take,
3: didn't yeah. take. That
1: whole strip had like, that had years of character development that they brushed aside. I mean, like the Colonel and like all these, yeah, the people, the people in the old folks' home, like, right? That, yeah. that oh my whole, God, yeah, <laughs> that whole conceit goes yeah. like, yeah, no, 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 not working. See ya. <laughs> we
2: want to talk about Oscar and his banana in two thousand
0: yes <laughs> oliver.
2: oliver 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 oliver.
1: Yeah. oliver wendell holmes
0: and the banana wendell jr Jones. <laughs> this is so great i love that guy there were such
3: great takeoffs on like old apple ads that
0: yeah yeah,
3: yeah. jr six thousand or whatever it was oh my god that was so funny well like just lampooning the whole notion that like you need to get your little kid a personal computer right now because otherwise yeah. they're not going to be successful and they're not yeah. going to be able to compete you know in the office yeah. when they grow up and it,
1: it was just such a great send up of i missed that. i missed i missed bloom county like it didn't land for me bloom county yeah, and dunesbury yeah. missed missed me yeah. where i was you know i was born in 75 and so by yeah. 85 i was 10 i wasn't like, yeah, and- I was too and- young.
2: I was too young for 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 Dunesbury myself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: And newspapers weren't coming to our house. I wasn't yeah. like and I, re- I remember very much like going into college in the early 90s and seeing Dunesbury and being like, OK, I kind of get what's happening here. And then Bloom County to me was like it was like Dunesbury on crack. And I was like, I, I I've got no access to this like the penguin. I get it like whatever. And it just, it just didn't fold in for me. Yeah. And so like I tried when we were talking about this, we were, we were talking about doing an entire episode about Bloom County and I went back and I tried to, I started at the beginning and I I read years of Bloom County. I read years of Bloom County and I kept reading it, waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting for like, when does this get good? like it was yeah. like it was literally like yeah. it was like when does this turn into what everybody yeah. goes nuts about i i think and- i
0: think i think part of bloom county was that it was um it was very much it was a piece of social satire you had to a be time, there. i get it but, yeah yeah. I, you had to be there like, it was, which it was, was tom's also, initial point it, right but it was also a matter of social satire at a time when social satire was different than it is now say today like bloom county the way it was couldn't exist today and set, hit the same level purchase because the environment's so much different, you know. And I don't think Bloom County ages as well going back to it to read it now as say things like The Far Side did, but or Calvin and Hobbes, right? But if you were it's there at the time, if you were there at the time, though, to Tom's point, it captured the zeitgeist so 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 well if you're in a place you could appreciate it it, it really it was it was lightning in a bottle it really was
1: well I got the I, I got the references like yeah. I, I I get it like we're gonna make fun of Al Haig cool I get it you know yeah. what I mean like I, I, <laughs> I, I I'm here for it we're gonna make fun of Tipper, Tipper Gore I get it and, and yeah. like I got it and it was it was you know what it was honestly like watching old episodes of Night Court that's that's what I got yeah. out of it huh. <laughs> it was like this is funny Let's see that yeah. but it's it's like okay it's the funny way I didn't you think say, there was Haha.
3: Be middle ground with you there Joe I thought yeah. you' were either gonna yeah. love it or you were gonna hate yeah. it I thought yeah. like, you might love it because you're into politics and you're into like a lot of the stuff that you know was yeah. lampoon but yeah. you know if you couldn't marry it with the moment there's that yeah.
2: whole oh, right I mean like, is it, like yeah. to me uh, the, the defining moment of bloom county is the ollie north trial and and the way it approached that was i mean just wildly for the day wildly disruptive and 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 subversive you know like you didn't you didn't see things like that
0: from comic strips then so i totally forget how it handled the ollie north trial how did it how did it handle it well by making fun of ollie north and all his bullshit.
2: okay fine all all these denials they they were just like yeah whatever
1: there's there's a great um, there's a great podcast I follow where one of the actors he does a thing called Tiffle which is like that's funny I laughed instead of laughing you say Tiffle like oh okay that's funny like and that to me was, was a lot of going back and reading the older Bloom County it was like yep yep okay i get it that's funny okay yep yep Yep. i get it that's funny like i get what they're doing i get what they're doing i get what they're doing funny 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 and and yet never am i dying laughing
3: yeah
1: and that's probably the difference between consuming it in 1985 versus consuming it in 2022 and trying to transport yourself back to the mid-1980s and the subversiveness which was so rare.
2: Joe, Joe were, were you were you ever dying, laughing, reading Hagar?
1: No, but that's a different animal. I, oh, I, yeah, I that, but yeah. For me, Hagar, <laughs> like, I was eight and nine. But no, but but
0: I, I, I think to be fair that's to Joe, a different though, animal. Hagar has never had the legacy of people talking it up the way Bloom County does. A lot of people talked well, about uh, Bloom uh, County. Uh, uh, except in right, you know. that it's been published for 60 years or whatever.
2: <laughs> I mean, so,
0: well, like so there's Tom, that. Tom. <laughs> What, what are some of the things that you like most about Bloom County as far as like, 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 who are your favorite? Do you have favorite characters? Are there favorite story arcs? I mean, it wasn't really a story arc different strip. But I mean, like, when you think about Bloom County, what are the aspects of it that really make it a super fun thing for you now, even years removed from from when it was really in, in, in the moment?
3: I mean, on a reread. I, you should go and just see how prescient he was with respect to a few things, like the way they lampooned like the PMRC with the whole, um, you know, Billy and the Boingers and death yeah. Yeah. thing, which yeah. is hysterical, and like you know, every. When I was caught up in that, I was like, oh, you know, there's devil music that's going around, you know, like, I was that way toward my parents and then go back up into my room and, you know, listen to some (laughs) AC and then
2: some Iron Maiden.
3: But, but, uh, (laughs) you know, you you forget, like, during that time, like, period, people didn't know how that stuff was going to go. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah, this day, I don't
0: yeah. forgive Al Gore for you know. <laughs> well, I, well, I remember there's a great episode when, 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 it, it, during that time. I think they're they're either playing they're either playing a Death Tongue record backwards or they're playing Iron Maiden backwards, and it's they're playing <laughs> It starts saying the, the message comes out and goes go to church, go to church, <laughs> like, listen to your, to your you. mom. <laughs> yeah, it's like tithe, <laughs> tithe. <laughs> yeah.
3: Like, okay. Yeah, I, I loved all that stuff that the social commentary was just, but like, but then it could make you laugh with like the, the one that makes me laugh the most has nothing to do with politics. And it just it it was it was just silly funny like we needed something to send up the 1984 Olympics because it was getting out of control everybody was like rah 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 rah, los angeles go beat the crap out of the commies you know they weren't even there (laughs) (laughs) no they weren't This, you know, they introduced this new Olympic event and Opus, the penguin is the athlete they call jello snorfling and he basically just takes like a whole plate of jello and stuffs it in his face and snorts it up his nose and gets it all over his body. And like it was just such a great send up of like, really, some of these things are sports (laughs) like, you know,
0: (laughs) yeah. (laughs)
3: and and, synchronized
0: jealous over the 1984
3: olympics i mean my dad had the commemorative coins coming in the mail everybody was like yeah like (laughs) i just needed lampoon and he did such a funny job of it like i I remember holding the paper that was a sunday strip and and just laughing my ass off because i couldn't stop
2: (laughs) yeah tom my, my favorite strip was from the the arc where milo and binkley and bill and sadly opus took over uh like a drug dealer's trade at the beginning <laughs> of the strip the dea announced uh, you know a huge interdiction of drug traffic today and and you know it's like they're like all posing with their guns over this little box of drugs you know they estimate that they've interdicted 0.0018 percent of all drug traffic in the united states and then you know the, the final panel on the strip is 0.0018 percent price increase <laughs> oh yeah yeah like, like even at like 16 i was like okay yeah. that's the war on drugs <laughs> yeah right yeah, yeah.
3: There I, were I, a bunch I was... of great strips yeah. there was one that was like almost one single panel where like you know you see like the speed boat going by for the you know the <laughs> day, and there's like this little fishing boat that's dragged you know underneath you see under the water right. a
2: huge net <laughs> with all
3: the you know the the scalp tonic the Illegal yeah. scalp tonic, you know, just yeah. <laughs> like a folder for heroin or whatever,
0: you know. <laughs> I, was, I always I always enjoy the strips where we see Steve Dallas like trying to hit on women and failing miserably. Cause he's just, he's oh just yeah, like, he's this like total misogynist from like this, like the sixties and seventies, trying to make it in a post women's liberation kind of scene where he's just not figuring it out and like just there'll be scenes where he's like at the bar hitting a woman and it just goes disastrously wrong every time and Steve Dallas make a great guest star in Family Circus to be honest with you he shows up and just like you know cuckles the husband or something that'd be fantastic (laughs) (laughs) I'd be there for that too so
3: well there was the one strip he was hitting on for better for worse (laughs) (laughs)
0: most definitely worse
3: He sees Opus's date from the bar and goes and hits on her and gets maced because she was a radical feminist and she was carrying yeah. mace, hit him right in the face with mace. In yeah. the next strip, he's recovering from this and he's hitting on a woman with, with a thing wrapped around his eyes and gets tear gassed. <laughs> I mean, you know, he just never learns because he never no. gets it. Like he just no. never gets it. It's no, no. <laughs> no,
2: no. Why are you living in a boarding house in rural
0: Iowa, man? (laughs) (laughs) It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. Before we wrap up a final thought. So there's a story I've mentioned elsewhere on this podcast, but it bears repeating here and that an archive of American newspaper comics probably would not exist at all. If it weren't for the efforts of this one guy named Bill Blackbeard. Now you can Google him to get the full story. And I recommend that you do because it's a tale of how one man's obsession with newspaper comics didn't just save them for people like me who were born too late to enjoy many of them. It gave, it, it kind of gave the entire medium a second chance of critical evaluation and to fire the imaginations of countless readers and creators. And that includes me. You know, before I ever became, you know, a novelist, I worked at being a comic book illustrator. And before that, I worked at being a cartoonist. And that was my first real artistic aspiration. Uh, I even had distant relatives who were in the business. And I thought this could be something perhaps I could do. And that was a notion I really got into. After reading the Smithsonian collection of newspaper comics. And this tome was just so huge. And it was the first attempt to create an omnibus that didn't just try to explain the various eras of newspaper comics, it showcased a lot of them in their finest examples, as I mentioned before. But, you know, back then, as I read that book to pieces, there's also kind of a melancholy aspect to that to that experience because as great as that book was i knew it could only offer glimpses through a keyhole at the entire history of all the strips it referenced many of which ran for decades and have these really rich legacies of their own and as a kid growing up before the internet age these histories were denied to me and the more i read this book the more i realized that and that really kind of tore me up and you know then when my first copy of this book fell apart i despaired because it was no longer in print So even my guided tour through these memories was was gone. Now, thankfully, in the eBay area, I could secure a replacement, and I have. And we now live in an era where, you know, things don't have to be locked away from you just because it's something you enjoyed once upon a time. And yet, here we are at a time when the newspaper comic itself, as we know it, really probably won't be around for much longer, to be honest. I mean, traditional newspapers themselves are under severe pressure, as are their funny pages. Most comics now publish online, free from the papers that once would have been their only means of distribution. So an era is really truly ending, uh, where the comics drove us to the papers, and the papers informed the comics, where the comics themselves offered something new and fresh and invigorating. Now, thankfully, if and when the end you know should finally come, which for more than a few of these longest-running zombie strips has been long overdue, what might end will not be lost. There are plenty of databases online to read your favorite comics, and I suggest that you do. Big syndicates all offer considerable collections. You know. But if you go even further back and perhaps want to learn more about the really old strips or about the larger eras, themes, and highlights of newspaper comic publishing, there are two more books I would recommend to you. The first is 100 Years of American Newspaper Comics by Maurice Horn. It's an illustrated encyclopedia that runs up to the mid 90s right after Calvin and Hobbes and The Far Side quit publishing. It's an outstanding book that offers a great introduction to virtually every major newspaper comic title that ever that ever published to that point. The second book I'd point you to is a book called "The Comics: The Complete Collection" by Brian Walker. And it, it's a lot like 100 years of news, of American newspaper comics, but it also provides a lot more examples of these comics and actions, kind of the way the Smithsonian book does. This book does a really great job of contextualizing these comics in the decades in which they were published. And it's a fantastic way to sort of see what these comics look like out in the field. You know, great art is an art created with the purpose of being great. Great art is so because of how it impacts the world into which it's made. Newspaper comics have often been derided as a particularly low form of popular culture, which is itself, to many critics, a low form of culture. And yes, while so many of these comics are simply not well executed, together they weave a tapestry from which some of our greatest art emerges. And we can't fully separate the good from the bad here in 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 that way. When we think of how great the greatest newspaper comics really are, we should also remember that newspaper comics are themselves great. This has been moments of truth on behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. for more moments of truth. Be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts or visit us at www.momentsoftruth.show. And before you go, Please check out Joe's award-winning, best-selling novel, Moss, described by Kirkus Reviews as, quote, an excellent and thoughtful exploration of art, ambition, and mortality, as the illegitimate son of a literary giant deals with love, loss, and the struggle to find himself. Order Moss today through Amazon.com or your local bookseller.